Welcome back to Outside the System. Today's episode is with Athena Christakos. Athena and I worked together at Estee Lauder, where she used her chemistry and biology background to create cosmetic products. Today, Athena is a holistic skin health coach focused on helping people solve their skin problems through a mix of diet and lifestyle changes. During the episode, we got into topics like what drives skin health, what leads to the constant push for products, why doctors aren't incentivized or educated on the link between skin and lifestyle, and a lot more. Athena shares tons of information on her Instagram page, and you can find a link to that in the show notes. As always, if you're enjoying the show, a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts is super helpful in helping to spread the word. And if you're getting value from outside the system, you can also support financially using Bitcoin on Fountain or any other podcast player that supports Podcasting 2.0. Let's get into the episode. Athena, thanks so much for joining me on Outside the System. Thanks for having me. It's it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so you and I uh, obviously met several years ago uh, when we were both working at, at uh, the Estee Lauder companies. Uh, we were working on a somewhat entrepreneurial project, at least for being in a corporate. Uh, and so kind of stayed in touch over the years. But um, I was really fascinated by what you're working on today, which I'll let you kind of introduce and give the background and obviously how you got there. But just very interesting. And uh, as, a, as somebody who kind of used to work in this skincare industry, it's really nice to see some of these alternative approaches that that you're taking and more nuanced approaches to uh, to skincare. But yeah, maybe let's start with your, you know, you introducing what you're working on today. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm i a cosmetic chemist. So this is why, you know, I used to work at Estee Lauder for about four years uh, doing that. Um, and I slowly transitioned into more of a holistic approach to healing my skin um, because I experienced rosacea myself for over five years and obviously I tried all the skincare I tried all the supplements especially working in this in the industry I you know I, I thought skincare could solve it all working with alternative medicine namely traditional Chinese medicine Ayurveda I started truly understanding how the body works as a whole and that's what led me to creating um, a holistic protocol to heal my skin. And I now help women um, with this protocol. That's amazing. So let me ask you then, you know, you had to heal your, your own skin. How would the call it mainstream way of thinking about skincare have gone about treating that, that uh, issue you were having? So basically, you know, I was a cosmetic chemist. I also have a bachelor in biology. So I did have the understanding about how the body functions. And I thought that, you know, skincare, topical skincare ingredients um, could help with, you know, the superficial inflammation that happens um, when you have rosacea. And so I tried a bunch of skincare um, and I could only... um, you know, help it so superficially and it kept coming back. Um, so so that's when I just, you know, found the limit of the skincare and I, I really felt the need to, to go deeper and look into internal inflammation. So the skin kind of works as a, almost as a, um, 
a sign of other areas of inflammation in the body. So not just it's not just limited to the skin, whereas a lot of the the treatments kind of focus on this one, you know, skin as the only variable. And I guess what you're saying is when you started looking into it, there were other areas of inf- in your body that probably were experiencing inflammation and it was just manifesting as a skincare problem. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of those areas that you personally maybe uh, worked on and then kind of in general maybe can lead to skincare uh, issues that are actually not purely skincare problems? So it usually starts um, in the gut. I know it's uh, something that, you know, has become very mainstream, but gut health is very important and it's actually... um, it's suffering, you know, nowadays with the diet that we eat, the, the, the pesticides, the herbicides, the preservatives in the food, um, the lifestyle that we're living, definitely our gut health is being impacted. And so as your gut doesn't function properly, it usually creates inflammation there, which impacts other parts of your body, namely the liver. It also impacts your immune system that becomes kind of overly sensitive. And that impacts the connection between your immune system and the skin is so that when the skin is trying to, you know, differentiate itself on a surface level, if there's constant inflammation happening chronically in your body, your skin barrier isn't going to be able to really develop properly and that's when you're going to start seeing also microbiome dysfunction on the skin and that's like an open door to a bunch of different skin conditions so do you need to i I guess are you saying that the manifestation of these skincare problems is kind of all the diagnosis that you you need or are is there another way to kind of keep a track on some of this before you start experiencing the skincare problem? Like, is there a way to know that your skin microbiome, for example, might be, you know, out of whack without necessarily getting all the way to a acne or, or another problem? So definitely there's a, a lot of different chronic symptoms that are linked to one another. Um, part of my journey understanding what was going on is that I also experience allergies, like seasonal allergies, food intolerances and asthma and for the longest time I would go to separate different doctors to you know to deal with this so asthma I would take you know puffers every day allergies I also had to take pills every day to kind of get that under control and a lot of times people have a list of chronic symptoms that they you know don't put together that can be a great indicator of inflammation happening on the inside and that are here to show you that something is happening. But the funny thing is that usually when it starts showing up on their skin, that's when people truly um, look into it because now it's no longer just internal. It's no longer just chronic fatigue. It's no, it's no longer just bloating when you eat it it's becoming something that other people can see and usually that's very triggering to people and that's when they really want to do something about it yeah the external becomes the the motivation which i think uh 
Yeah, I think all of us are probably influenced by that. I'm, you know, for sure. Um, I mean, definitely, which is why the skincare and makeup companies make so much money um, as as they can present temporary solutions for for this. But yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned something which I thought was really interesting, and I think ties into this conversation really well, um, and the theme of the podcast as well, actually, uh, which is that you were experiencing a lot of these seemingly unconnected problems, but were really, you know, kind of had a connection for sure. Uh, underneath it, but you had to see m- many different types of doctors uh, to go treat these these different problems. I, I think as a society, as a uh, world, we've kind of created this compartmentalized approach to medicine. I mean, to a lot of things, but medicine, absolutely, where we say, okay, the skin is, you know, requires one type of doctor, the gut requires another type of doctor, the brain requires another type of doctor. And, uh, you know, that's not really how the body works. The body is a complex system that is very interconnected between all of these different uh, uh, called functions, but they're really all part of one uh, of one system. And, you know, I'm curious now, you mentioned that uh, what you're working on today is more of a holistic approach to skin health. Talk about that a little bit, because my understanding about the holistic approach is it kind of treats the body as a whole. Um, And so, yeah, talk about that versus the kind of traditional way that, uh, call it the medical industry, would um, treat skin health. The way um, Western medicine treats skin health at this point is you go to the dermatologist because you have skin symptoms that are chronic and you're not able to handle with skincare and basically they tell you to wear sun protection and to avoid triggers which is very confusing because most of the time when you do have either eczema rosacea or you know even acne psoriasis you don't know what the triggers are so you're left kind of with more questions than when you even went in and there's not much help. Basically, they tell you there's no cure for many skin, you know, conditions. And so it's very poorly managed. I believe skin conditions are very poorly managed by Western medicine at this point. And one of the reasons why that is, is exactly because of the compartmentalization of, um, of the body. So what happens to me is after visiting a bunch of dermatologists and, and not getting any really helpful answers, um, I looked into traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda to kind of get this holistic understanding. And what I liked about traditional Chinese medicine is that they put the emphasis on really the integrity of the human body and the close relationship between human and its social and natural environment. So there's different um, levels of division. The body is being compartmentalized in different functions. So you have specialists and doctors, and then humans are being, you know, separate. And then the humans themselves are being separated from their environment. In my experience, all of this needs to be to be brought back together. So the body needs to be treated as a whole. Humans need to be also the social aspect is critical to healing any chronic disease and the environmental 
um, also plays a huge role. I often say the root causes of all of these chronic skin conditions is usually, so there's a piece that's innate physiology that just, you know, is the person. And then there's environmental factors like the diet and the environment. And also something that's very important and that's not very often addressed is the emotional landscape. Um, so absolutely, I think that the way to understand, this is specifically true for chronic conditions, because if you have, you know, a problem that requires surgery, you can go to a specialist. They're going to help you address a specific problem. And that's great. But when it comes to understanding chronic condition, I think the only way to, to do that long term and efficiently is to address um, the body as a whole, the human as part of a community, and this community as part of their environment. So when you say emotional, uh, is that things like stress or what, what specifically are you talking about there? Yeah, absolutely. Stress plays a big role. Um, again, chronic stress, because you know that the, the same way poor diet puts pressure on your body your liver, your immune system, your gut in a chronic fashion, your chronic stress is also going to put an additional layer of inflammation inside your body. There's a lot of work that shows the connection between stress and inflammation inside the body. And, you know, even beyond stress, there's a lot of um, blockages, emotional blockages, repressed emotions. The, the, the clients I worked with usually come to me with a bunch of chronic conditions that have been manifesting physically, but also a lot of emotional um, blockages and repressed emotions that, you know, they have not learned how to handle and deal with and release. And that in accumulation with the environment and the diet is kind of like a cocktail. And at some point the body is no longer able to, to, to process all of it and, chronic symptoms show as a way to show you like, hey, something's happening inside. We can no longer go this way and we need to make changes here. When you see clients, is it a mix of all of these factors or are you seeing certain factors happen more often? Like for example, sometimes it's probably, you know, purely a stress or lifestyle maybe issue. Mm -hmm. Maybe other times it's, uh, maybe there's products they're using that might even be causing some issues to them. Um, but I'm curious, like, are there, are there common things that you're seeing like with a lot of your clients or is it just truly everybody is very different? Um, or are there some similarities? There are definitely some similarities. So I, the first thing I do when I meet a person is that I create their skin symptom puzzle. So that's the combination of all the different factors because really no no person has the same combination, but also some pieces are very similar most of the time. So definitely the diet and the lifestyle. I work with women a lot and lifestyle, diet, hormonal imbalances is kind of something that's reoccurring a lot. Also, you know, antibiotic um, treatments over the years, um, poor skincare uh, habits that have impaired and damaged the skin barrier um, on a surface level um, and always most of the time but that's kind of like the hardest thing to understand is the emotional landscape because most of the time 
people come to me expecting me to create a diet plan and to create a skincare regimen for them. And getting to the emotional roots are a little bit more complicated and not everyone's willing to go there. Um, but I feel like it's absolutely necessary for long-term healing, especially a person with rosacea, which is associated with a lot of flushing. Anyone who has that will tell you that the flushing occurs, especially when there's a big emotional situation happening. So conflict or, you know, public speaking, these situations, um, it's very connected. The nervous system and the skin are very highly connected there. And so working on regulating all of this is is basically my my goal. Yeah, the nervous system, the gut, the, uh, you know, the whole, like, it's so funny. Some of these old phrases are so accurate, like the whole butterflies in your stomach thing. You know, it's like a, if you treat the body as these compartmentalized things, somebody would say, oh, well, you know, that's your your stomach it has nothing to do with your brain, which is where all of your thinking and feelings and emotions happen. But that's absolutely not true. The 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 gut is actually so important to um, I actually think a lot of I forget which neurotransmitter, maybe it was serotonin, uh, is actually produced in the gut. Mm-hmm. Uh but then it's interpreted, I guess, in your in your brain. But it's it's produced in the gut, which means if your gut health is not uh, optimal, then you're in you know you're you're probably going to be underproducing or overproducing uh, that neurotransmitter. And I think Athena, one point you brought up around hormones is I think a really interesting and important one because uh, at least from what I know about skincare, and you're obviously the the expert here, uh, you know, there's there's skincare issues that can be caused by potentially dirty skin or or unclean skin or environmental outside environmental factors. But then there's a lot more skincare issues that are probably caused by hormones, which is truly an inside out approach then to fixing your skin because your skin actually is not really where the problem is. The problem is in your is hormonal and that require you know, that's not going to be fixed by a skincare product. Absolutely not. And so hormonal imbalances, again, is kind of like it is part of a root cause, but it's a secondary layer. Um, The first layer is definitely the gut and the inflammation that in time impact the liver and uh, your adrenal systems. And definitely. So what's happening is that most of the time, you know, we connect the skin and and hormonal health together, especially with women, because most of the time when you're a teenager, you start having all these changes in your hormonal patterns and you have acne breakouts. What usually happens, especially for, you know, women of my uh, generation, so millennials, is that we're the generation of Accutane, right? We um, were pretty much all taken to the dermatologist when we were around 15 because of acne problems. And back then, dermatologists would prescribe Accutane a lot because it showed great results with with acne. The thing here is that Accutane has a bunch of side effects that later, you know, got the product actually removed off the market. I think it was around 2010 that it was completely removed off the market. And one of these um, one of these 
side effects. Of course, there was like a lot of birth defects. Um, there was a lot of inflammation of the pancreas, a lot of symptoms uh, in the gut. And um, even, and that just ties back to what you were saying earlier about the connection between the brain and the gut is that this medication causing all these gut problems also actually increased the, like the suicidal ideation and suicidal rates amongst the people who are taking it. That, that's part of the reason why it was taken off the market. There's been like, you know, trials that lasted for years on the topic. I, it's, a, it's a very vast conversation, but, but what happened back in those years is that women would be put on Accutane for acne. And because the medication was known to create birth defects, Um, the patient had to also take the pill, so birth control pill, along with the medication. And we also had to present a negative, you know, we had to show a proof that we were not pregnant to be able to get our monthly prescription because it was one of the things that um, they were very worried about back then. For years, a person would take the pill because they started taking it with Accutane. So Accutane would impact the gut. And then also taking the pill, three, the pill for years would impact your overall health. But there's not a lot of research showing that taking the pill, especially over a long period of time, decreases your ability to absorb uh, the nutrients in the food and a whole bunch of other side effects that are coming with the pill. And so most of the time, women, by the time they want to stop the pill, they don't even know where to start and they just stop the pill and they have crazy skin reactions coming with that because for years, the pill was just masking potential hormonal imbalances. And it's probably, I mean, I, I'm not fully up to speed on how the pill works, but I imagine it's a, uh, it has a, a massive effect on your hormones to prevent you from getting pregnant. Yeah, so the pill is actually synthetic hormones that just, you know, regulate your entire hormonal system. So instead of cycling the way we naturally do as women, we just take a pill that gives us the same amount of hormones day in and day out. And so there's no cycle happening anymore. And then you stop the pill for a week. You have your bleed, which is really a, just a fake bleed. And uh, yeah, there's no cycling anymore when you take the pill. Yeah, and I definitely want to to come back to the cycling in a second. Um, one thing I do want to kind of give an example for any men listening to uh, to the podcast, which you know I think for me it took me a while to realize how impactful I think hormones are both for men and women. But I think sometimes I, I think as men it's a little hard to understand uh, from the female perspective. I think the the equivalent here. Uh, which I think me most men are, at least are are familiar with the effect of something like testosterone and you know what low testosterone levels do to somebody and high testosterone levels do to somebody. You could have the exact same person, same DNA, same everything, same experiences, but you just change. You know, you just dial in this testosterone number, low or high, and it's going to have a massive effect on that person's behavior, that person's preferences. Uh, that person's ability to absorb nutrients through food, as an example that Athena was giving even uh, for females. And so um, it's not a quite one-to-one -one comparison, testosterone versus um, some of the female hormones, but 
it's a way for you to, I think, understand the impact that a hormone can have on your behavior and on your life and on your health um, in a pretty, you know, important, important way. And, and testosterone is just one hormone. I think from what I understand, at least the female body has, you know, several hormones, estrogen being one that, you know, most people have heard of, but there's, there's several others as well mm-hmm. um, that are important in the, in the cycle regulation. Absolutely. Your hormones in your body affect your brain. They affect your gut, the way you metabolize. They affect your immune system. They affect your energy levels. Like you said, like the entire, you can be a completely different person with a different cocktail of hormones. Yeah. And actually, let's talk about the cycle uh, point, because I think one thing that gets underappreciated um, in our modern uh, society, and you know, maybe I'm gonna get in trouble for, for saying this, but I think I think uh, men and women have different cycles. Like I think men, and un- you know, fortunately, unfortunately, the world is kind of built around the male call it 24 hour cycle, and I think uh, you know, women women's bodies aren't built with that same cycle. I mean, you're obviously the expert here. But I think it's it's much more of a monthly cycle, and energy levels, and you know, all sorts of things can can rise or or fall during the that monthly cycle, as opposed to you know the male. Okay, wake up, work, go to sleep, kind of twenty four hour cycle. Yeah, so that twenty four hour cycle you're referring to is called the circadian rhythm, and like you said, it's so this is the primary biological clock in um, in the male body. And like you said, it just repeats itself every 24 hours. So you wake up, you, you know, like you have certain, certain um, patterns, hormonal patterns throughout the day that repeat every 24 hours. The women do have um, a circadian rhythm. Like some of our body functions are, are, you know, guided by this clock. But we also have what's called the infradian rhythm, and that's the monthly cycle you're referring to. So it can last, you know, anywhere anywhere between 28 to 35 days. And um, and indeed, a woman goes through different phases. There's four phases throughout the month, and the hormonal cocktail is different during each phase, uh, which makes the woman... Um, feeling different. So the energy level is different. And like I said, your brain is going to be different. Your immune system is going to be different. So, so for just to give you like a very quick snapshot, let's start with the follicular phase. Um, It's kind of like the phase of new beginning. So, you know, your cycle, you're just post bleeding. So, you know, it's like you're coming out of your bleed, your energy level comes up, you slowly start feeling more energy in your body. And this is a a time that's great for like planning out, planning out things. Then you move into your ovulatory phase, which biologically ovulation is the moment, you know, women are meant to reproduce. So that's when you naturally have the most um, energy, you feel, you know, very social, outgoing, and this is a good time, you know, to go out, socialize, uh, you know, if you have to have like, if you have to give public speaking, this is a great time. Like you, you, you feel the vibe, like it's all about being social and connect to the others. And then slowly you move into your luteal phase, which is the, the, the longest phase. Um, and it's 
as you see, like it's a cycle. So slowly you're going, your energy level is going to slowly start going down. Instead of your energy being outwards, it comes back inwards. And then you move into your bleeding phase, which is really the restoring uh, phase for a woman. And you need to just rest. And, um, you know, you want to spend a little bit more time alone. Um, and so that you can learn to synchronize with your cycle so that you're able to do all the things, but with more flow, meaning forcing less and just, you know, being, honoring your cycle to be like, okay, I'm in my, I'm in my bleeding phase. I'm just going to take some time to rest versus I'm in my ovulatory phase. So I'm going to go meet the clients. I'm going to go see the friends. I'm going to go out and do all the things and just learn how to work with your physiology. I think when I started learning this information, it was, it was such a game changer for me. I was like, oh, okay. So I'm, I'm not this weird person. There's a saying that says that there's really for women in every woman and that's not a saying it's actually true it's just that she goes through different phases of her cycle and actually from being on the pill myself for 10 years I was getting to a point where I always I always felt the same but also a very like grayish mood that I was in a hundred percent of the time versus when I stopped the pill I started feeling you know energized and feeling you know when I when I was more tired but at least I felt fully yes you were able to you kind of weren't in this cloud I guess anymore exactly um this mask almost yeah how actually more practically and I, I definitely want to get into more of these practical uh tips as we go on a little bit um how would you or I guess how have you seen uh, women kind of obviously you have to manage in the modern world in terms of whether it's work, whether it's just life, like, you know, for you in particular, what was the way that you were able to kind of get back into that flow, that, that cycle flow, but also still kind of continue to operate? Is it things like, I would imagine, you know, there's probably times where, okay, every day I need to be, you know, before I'm saying, before you understand your cycle, it was every day I need to be doing this, this, and this. And maybe later it's, okay, this week, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that. This week, I'm going to rest more. Exactly. And then this week, I'm going to go, you know, much more all in because I have the energy to do that. Exactly. So actually, I would just sit down and kind of map out, but in a monthly fashion versus like a weekly or a daily to-do list. So, you know, I was working like a very regular sales jobs. <laughs> and so I had different tasks to achieve. And I was fortunate enough that I was able to kind of like create my my planning. So my follicular phase, I would use it to do all of the planning. So I was like, okay, I'm sitting down this week. I need to see this client, this client. I need to do, um, I, I need to do these trainings. I need to do uh, this admin work. So this is all I have to do. And I'm going to plan it in a way that feels good for me. So then ovulatory phase, I would schedule all my client meetings because I know it was a time where I naturally felt like socializing. I wanted to go out. I actually enjoyed going for dinner, enjoyed taking my clients out for drinks and like do all the things. So this is when I would do this. And actually, I would do no administration work. So I would take like, you know, notes on my on my on my laptop 
during the meetings, but I wouldn't take the time to do the, all the CRM work. I would just like, just go enjoy and have fun and socialize. Then came in the luteal phase. And that's exactly what I would do. Like all the Excel sheets, all the follow-ups with the clients, um, all of the CRM um, work, you know, just like all of the follow-ups, sending out, you know, the contract, doing all this administrative work. And then bleeding phase is when I would try to catch up because there was a lot of um, training component to, to, to my job. I was working as a, as a technical account manager for a raw material company. And so I had to constantly stay updated on new materials. Um, and so I would do that during my bleeding phase. I would almost like close the door of my office and focus on learning new things and and that was perfect. So at the end of the month, I had done all of the things I had to do, but I just did it in a way that just felt good for me. Yeah. So you were still able to do all the tasks, but you were doing them on your schedule and your, um, yeah, on the schedule. And, and honestly, you were probably more effective. Like I've definitely found, uh, and obviously I don't know exactly what this, exp- you know, your experience is like, but I even find like, even as a man, there's probably times where for not necessarily hormonal reasons, but just other reasons, tiredness, whatever, mm-hmm. that you try to like push yourself through a task and you're just so much less effective than the days that you're like energized to go do that task. Right. And um, it's just very interesting that, yeah, if you can organize your life in a way that you are doing the tasks that align with your energy in a broad sense, uh, you're just going to be more effective and also probably less uh, unhappy. <laughs> exactly. And the cool thing when it comes to women is that it's pretty predictable. You know, for men, it's like you you don't really know when you're going to feel tired or not. But for women, it's something that, you know, is predictable. So it's it's uh, it's pretty easy to exactly to it's, it's pretty easy to work around your it's just your physiology, really. But like you said earlier, it feels like, you know, nowadays, there's this there's this thing where there's one definition of being productive there's one definition of being successful and you know maybe women feel like they have to to behave a certain way or to to produce a certain way that is similar to men so that we just feel as efficient in our work when just like you said really we're being 100% more efficient when we work accordingly to our physiology. So, uh, Athena, are you familiar with the word uh, or the term PSYOP? Like psychological operation? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so I I personally think, and this is actually an interesting segue to one of the next questions I had. Um, I personally think that this idea that women have to be productive in the same way as men is actually a little bit of a psyop by companies and by governments because it helps increase economic productivity. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, at least on paper, right? Like it will say, okay, you know, our GDP went up because now all these women are being productive in the workplace. Not to say that women can't be productive in the workplace, but it's, they don't have to be productive in the same cycle in the same way as uh, men are. And I actually think, you know, there's no free lunch in this world. Um, And so the price that women are paying to kind of be forced into that schedule by, I think, companies and governments um, is just like, 
you know, there's a lot like women have to deal with more mental problems. If you look at mental health diagnoses, um, I think, you know, there's a lot of a lot of uh, unfortunate side effects to what kind of women have been forced to um, endure by being being pushed into this male sort of 24 hour cycle and kind of given the expectation that they have to be exactly the same. Okay. Right. And, and, and can't honor their own biology. Exactly. But on a positive note, I think there's I think there's more and more conversation happening here. And I think the key here is education. So women have to educate themselves and also men have to become familiar with this thing so that when your wife tells you she's tired, you know, you sometimes people get so dismissive, like, oh, she's on her period or like, you know, very um joke about these things but it's 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 a legit thing you know and uh, some, some countries have even started implementing um like days off during your bleeding phase so i think the conversation is happening and now it's about just like educating um as much people as possible on the fact that you know we're different we're we're you know humans but we have a different physiology And it doesn't make one better than the other. It's just that, you know, we have to work with our strength and, um, yeah. 100%. Yeah, we're we're unique in that way. And actually, this is an interesting segue to a question that I, I wanted to ask you about, which is, I think in not just skincare, in kind of a lot of things in our world today, there's a real push for like one size fits all. Um, and one area that I see that in skincare is the push for um, for sunscreens and always wearing sunscreens. And, you know, I think this is a topic uh, that I think you and I know a little bit about through, through the Estee Lauder work, but sunscreen is a relatively new uh, invention from a biological standpoint, relatively new invention. You know, a lot of humans around the world have lived in the sun and, and have dealt with the sun. And then I think the other thing is that post the invention of sunscreen and, you know, mass application of sunscreen, at least in the Western world, um, the question of skin ca skin cancer rates coming down, you know, I think is is still a little bit uh, questionable <laughs> um, mm -hmm. as a result of these products. And so that's kind of one example product. But I think, you know, you can take this question in one of in both directions, like we can talk about sunscreen specifically. Uh, but I also think it's an interesting topic around this one size fits all approach um, to not just skincare, but a lot of things in our world, as opposed to this approach that you're taking with your clients, which is even as you're saying, you want to have a, a solid understanding of them first, rather than just kind of going in and saying, oh, you should do this, this and that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of uh, part of the work that I do is also bringing in a lot of nuance in in this health, beauty, nutrition um, industry, because I think there's so many confusing informations and I experienced it and I know every single person I work with has experienced it is I don't know what to do because I go on, you know, one Instagram page and it says I should eat meat and meat only because this is the original way of eating. And so it's the right thing to do. And then the next page is going to tell you that I should be 100% vegetarian because it gives you cleaner blood and la la la. And so it's very, very confusing to understand what it is that 
that you should be doing to get better. And same thing applies to sunscreen. You hear everything and it's opposite. So yes, there's this like mainstream push to wear sunscreen 24-7 because skin cancers. And on the other hand, there's a lot of people that are telling you that sun is kind of like our vital energy as humans, which is true. Um, and so we need sun. We need to be exposed to the sun to, to you know, produce healthy levels of vitamin D. Vitamin D is actually very important to fight off cancer, so very confusing too, um, and very important for our immune system as well. So you want to wear sunscreen to not have cancer, but if you wear sunscreen too much, you're not going to have the vitamins inside of you to fight off cancers. It's like, okay, what is it that I should be doing? And something that I try to do to the best of my ability is, again, bring in the education piece because understanding the reason why you're doing or not doing something is super important, especially in the long uh, game. And also understanding the, the, the facts, the scientific facts, helps you make the decision of whether this is appropriate for you to do or not. And so when it comes to sunscreen, I'm, that's why I always say, do I think that you should wear sunscreen, especially if you have fair symptomatic skin and um, you want to protect your skin from photoaging? Yes. Do I also believe that you should you know, expose yourself to, to, to the sun from time to time with parsimony, early mornings, late evenings, and let your skin build this natural sun protection that is, you know, a tan? Absolutely. And so I think this is where like the, the nuance comes in very important. Same thing comes with diet, you know, everyone claims to know exactly what to do to, 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 to get better. I've seen women healing on 100% proteins and like carnivorous kind of diet. And I've seen vegan women healing as well, you know. And so what matters to me as I work with people is to be like, here, here's the fact. Here is what we know. Um, also educate people on the limits of the science because another thing I'm, I'm experiencing a lot is that people especially the people who are not scientists they take you know scientific publications as like they're like almost like a truth that's a hundred percent true and like there's nothing um that can be um yeah, it's like the word of God. <laughs> exactly. But any scientist knows that, you know, the way, the way research is, is being done has its limits. You know, we're trying to reproduce a system. So we're studying, let's say, bacteria in a Petri dish. But the bacteria in your gut, your gut is very different than a Petri dish. And so as scientists, we kind of understand the limits. And also we understand that, you know, a publication that comes out today um, there can be another publication coming out in two years that says the complete opposite and both are going to be valid because both, you know, research has been led in slightly different ways. And so I understand this can all be so confusing. Um, and that's why I always say at the end of the day, you have to kind of get back to what feels true to you. So this is something I repeat over and over again. Here is 
what I believe to be efficient to heal, but also as you try things, make sure you kind of journal on how it feels and you take the time to to see if you know you're moving the needle in the right direction if you're feeling any better and to kind of gauge it for yourself I think this is a very important piece where and it also kind of goes back to the to the fact that we're looking for solutions outside of ourselves a lot versus listening to what our body is telling us we've been disconnected from our body in such a way you know we're like we're listening to doctors we're listening to the experts we're listening without ever even being like just sitting down and be like okay how do i feel right now how is this food making me feel how is this product making me feel and we're missing out on a lot because of that yeah absolutely like the um the point about science is such a such a good one and i think unfortunately you know there's a lot of science illiteracy i think in our society even though i think science has never been more accessible than it is today you know you can learn a lot just through the online resources that are there whether it's youtube videos and uh papers are available and you know if you follow the right accounts uh right people there's a lot you can learn on your own then that more you can learn today than you could learn you know 50 years ago on your own um, obviously, books are available. Um, now, that said, I think to your point about people just kind of blindly believing, and it's not even the papers, because I think most people, uh, Athena, unfortunately, don't know how to read a scientific paper. They're going to read the news article about the scientific paper written by a journalist who also doesn't understand science, science and how it works. And, and they're not even going to read the article. They're going to read the headline <laughs> or the tweet about the about the article. So um, all the nuance gets lost in that in that situation. And I think your point about uh, nuance in general, but also nuance also applies to science. Um, and so your point about two studies can come out that say, you know, seemingly contradictory things, but both be valid. I mean, that's absolutely true. And the other thing is that science is constantly evolving. It's not like a, you know, it's not like okay, we found this out, it's done. It's like always changing. The understanding is always changing and evolving and, and improving. Um, there was an earlier episode of this podcast with Callie Means from uh, True Medicine where he talked about also some of the influences of what gets studied and what doesn't um, in science. And a lot of that ties to the funding mechanism, which can be tied to companies trying to push a certain point. Um, and so, which is another reason you probably see, you know, more studies done on pharmaceutical or medical interventions versus holistic, more natural approaches, because there's no money to be made from a natural or holistic approach in the sense that not that there's no money to be made, but there's no like patent you can create around, you know, uh, no intellectual property you can create around, you know, the, the uh, advice that you give to a client, for example, whereas if I can just invent a pill that makes your acne go away, you know, forget about all the side effects, I can make billions of dollars off of that. Uh, so there's a, you know, there's a lot of factors that skew what science is even, what science is even researching. So yeah, I think like there's a lot of variables that I think unfortunately a lot of people 
don't know enough about how science works to even have the nuance. And I think uh, it's one of the bigger you know issues in society and I think really manifests when it comes to anything medical. You know, COVID was one example, but I think there's a lot of other examples like sunscreen being one uh, where the nuance gets lost because there's a lot of money to be made on one side, unfortunately. And I think that pushes you know, the, the, the medical approach or the, the product approach as opposed to the, the nuanced approach. Absolutely. Um, so, okay. Now we talked about the problems. I want to maybe get like, as we get closer to ending the, 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 our conversation, something that's a little bit more maybe constructive. And so what would be great is anyone, you know, for advice for people who are listening to this, um, probably, you know, maybe your advice might be more geared to women, but also, you know, maybe more general, maybe there's some that also applies to to men. Um, and just kind of where to even start with this journey, how to think about it, what they should be, you know, reading, doing. Um, but yeah, just kind of like, that would be a great, you know, great place to, uh, to, to start wrapping up here is just as we kind of think about this problem, I think everyone who's listened to this conversation has a good sense of, uh, you know, where some of the issues are, and hopefully has learned something. But now they're probably wondering, okay, what can I do now to improve um, not just my skin health, but my overall health. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing, you know, if, if a person has any, you know, skin symptoms that are, you know, impacting their lives is to first not believe the narrative that says that there is no cure. Because for a lot of these conditions, you know, eczema, rosacea, psoriasis, a lot of people tell you that there there is no cure. You can manage the condition, but there is no cure. This is the first um, thing that I want to break because I've seen people healing their skin. I've healed my skin. And, you know, talking about (laughs) mental blockages earlier, this is like the number one. Just believing there's nothing you can do is, is the worst. So... As I explained earlier, usually what happens is a combination of different factors, namely your innate physiology, environmental factors, and emotional landscape. So you want to try to identify, okay, what other symptoms am I experiencing? And can I can I kind of make sense of all of them together? Usually, um, you know, the immune system is going to be involved, your gut's going to be involved, your skin barrier is going to be involved. Um, and so you you want to try to understand what's happening internally here. Um, and then the way you can address your skin symptoms are, number one, internally. So you want to heal your gut and liver first. The number one thing I work with, um, I work on with, the, with my clients is elimination. Are you eliminating properly? This is also kind of like a taboo subject because... You know, no one really wants to talk about the bowel movements, but this is extremely important. Um, you know, your body is exposed to waste and to-, to to toxins. It creates wastes, and you want to make sure that all of these gets you know pulled out of the body on a daily in a daily fashion. So you need to be eliminating daily and. Again, in our you know today's world, our lifestyles, it's. You know, most of the time, the people I work I work with do not. Um, so you want to start focusing on elimination, so that 
you know, requires a lot of fiber, whether it's soluble fibers that are often found in legumes, beans, and all of that, and also just like fiber from vegetables that are going to help you get your your elimination, um, you know, systems optimally working. Then when it comes to your hormonal um, health, um, managing your blood sugar, there's very easy things that you can implement, uh, you know, when it comes to lifestyle to help manage your blood sugar. Um, eat at regular times to avoid, you know, um, to avoid your hormones needing to stabilize your blood sugar for you, but rather eat in a way that just stabilizes your blood sugar um, alone. That's a great tool that you can start implementing. And then to reduce the internal inflammations, there's four groups of food that I recommend looking into. The way I work is I usually ask my clients to kind of remove them from their diet and then slowly reintroduce them to kind of understand whether or not um, they can be a trigger. But the four groups of food that kind of 100% of the time you know will create internal inflammation are definitely you know processed food processed sugar um processed food usually comes with a bunch of preservatives preservatives are going to impact your gut flora and that can create a bunch of issues so anything that's preserved food preserved um preserved food processed sugar uh, you want to stay away from you also want to stay away from inflammatory oils so usually seed oils are known to be inflammatory especially to the skin so you want to remove um, those out of your diet and um, and then from a topical perspective there's also a lot of things that you can do to really help your skin the number one thing i recommend people to do is to oil cleanse so usually um, you know the mainstream advice on cleansing your skin is that you have to use a, a conventional foaming cleanser, you know, morning and evening. I have found this to be very detrimental to your skin barrier and to your skin biome. You know, there's usually a lot of women laugh about the fact that they are using 15 products and their skin isn't looking that great versus their partner that's using like water and just body cream all over and that has more beautiful skin than they do that is a common complaint in uh in my life i will <laughs> i will definitely say i get i get some some hate um for, yeah. for that because i actually athena for someone who worked in the industry i used products when i was in the industry I today use actually zero uh, products besides like I I don't even shampoo every day or, or condition every day. I shampoo only like a couple times, maybe a week. Um, I, I have friends who don't shampoo at all and have found alternatives. Mm -hmm. And I use body wash. Uh, and that is that is the those are the only products. I don't actually use anything on my uh, face besides water. Yeah. Which maybe is not the right approach, but um, I, it, it's just, you know, in comparison to the 15 products that uh, my partner uses, she she gets annoyed sometimes. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's definitely, you know, a few things you can do to make sure your skin gets, um, you know, the, the, the support that it needs. But this is just to say that washing your face morning and evening 
it's probably not the best approach. This is, you know, one of the things that every girl probably, you know, has heard. You should wash your face. Never go to bed without washing your face. You know, wash your face in the morning because there's dirt from the night. And um, my skin completely transformed when I started oil cleansing. Oil cleansing is just using simple oil to cleanse your skin, nothing with emulsifiers in it that are going to strip your natural oils away. Your natural oils are going to blend with the oil that you add on top. It's going to, you know, very gently remove the impurities and, um, you know, pollutants and, and dirt that's accumulated, even makeup that's accumulated on your face. And then with a wet cotton pad, you come and nicely remove everything with um, physical... What is a simple oil? What is a simple oil that you would use, like, or is it a product that you would buy? No, I usually, I usually use like jojoba oil. I don't even have a brand of preference, just like organic jojoba oil and depending. So if you have, if you have more oily skin, you can use sunflower or safflower oil. They're going to, they're going to help with, um, you know, kind of balancing the, the sebum production. And if you have drier skin, go with like the more film forming oil. So jojoba is a great one, uh, sweet almond, argan, you know. Um, that's great. Mm-hmm. So that Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's, it's also kind of funny because for my other podcast, uh, Made You Think, we did an episode, uh, two episodes actually on the Iliad and then the Odyssey. And in those books, they are doing... Uh, olive oil baths for their skin and it's just interesting how you know they've known this I guess for thousands of years and we like forgot it and are relearning it and it's just so fascinating yeah even Ayurveda has some very interesting practices where like to heal certain diseases they just bathe people in like warm oil but it's impressive to see like they pour buckets of warm oil on people's heads and bodies and uh yeah there's definitely a lot of um a lot of um you know wisdom in those more simple but older remedies I would say yeah and so you were saying so then you apply the oil and you remove it with a, a simple cotton pad just a just a wet cotton pad you just, so what happens is that Instead of using chemical um, emulsion emulsifiers to remove the dirt, you're just applying physical friction. So there's no chemical involved. And you just gently remove the oil, you turn around the cotton pad, you do that a couple of times. And then, you know, after two or three times, you'll see that the cotton pad is clean and your skin is clean and and it's actually really, you know, soothed. And so this is actually good for anybody, men, women, symptomatic skin, non-symptomatic skin. Um, This is going to help your skin barrier and your skin's microbiome in in a tremendous way. That's awesome. And then, uh, I mean, that's, I'm going to try that as well myself. Um, What is uh, the best way for somebody to follow you or to get more advice from you or get in touch with you? Absolutely. So... Um, I work a lot on Instagram, so you can find me at Feminergy, um, my website, www.feminergy.com as well. Um, so I've created a, a protocol to support mostly women, I would say, but I do work with men in private consultations, um, but I've created a protocol to help women understanding what's happening in their body, um, understanding their skin 
there's a large educational piece and then there's you know a lot of diet and lifestyle guidance i also create personalized uh, skincare regimen to help people because usually the diet piece is more the long-term game and then the topical support is what's going to help you get results a little bit faster um, so we work on both and we also do a lot of emotional work to try to understand um, if there's something we can do there that can help because the reality is that we want to heal long term you know there's no pill that you can take even the antibiotics all these things there's no pill that you can take that is going to help you alleviate all your chronic symptoms your chronic symptoms are just here to show you that something needs to change in your life lifestyle diet and um so it's all about you know the long-term game absolutely so i'll put links to all of these uh things in the show notes so to the instagram page and the website um, and then if you want to get in touch with athena based on some of the things that she's shared here you can just check out the show notes and get in touch with her that way thank you Nick. athena thanks so much for coming on the show and uh for the fascinating discussion i think I learned a ton through this, and uh, I think anyone listening will will probably feel that uh, you know there, there's a whole new kind of way of looking at at their skin and, and at their body, and hopefully you know they can take away some some useful pointers from this. Thank you, Neil.